0: Anyway, yeah, I'm here with McCrid. So, all right, McCrid, Uh He's my friend from Cornell, but he's not really someone I spent time with at Cornell. So I'll let him take over and just kind of talk about where he's coming from.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks, Kevin, for having me. We actually were in different classes, so we never met at Cornell. Um, otherwise, I think we would probably be good friends. But um, So I, I am originally grew up in China, and then I think um, now I would say I'm more of a mix between the East and the West. Um, I, I left China when I was 15 to study in Canada uh, for high school and then came to the U.S. My first stop in the U.S. was a uh, liberal arts school in Connecticut, uh, Connecticut College, and then I transferred to Cornell as a, as a sophomore, and now I am um, moved to Singapore after just graduated from Cornell last year.
0: You grew up in China, right? Tell me...
1: Dude, what what
0: had you thinking like China's a nice place right well why why leave being able to do everything easily in WeChat and then hop over to the u s
1: well um I guess just to talk a little bit more about my my family uh, I'm the only child uh, and that's that's a normal thing for my generation growing up. I know my parents were the first uh, in their respective families to go to college uh, they both were in the class um that's 10 years after the resumption of college entrance exam uh, after the cultural revolution in the 1960s and the seventies. So both of them were kind of ahead of the the curve compared to their peers, were able to get a good education and then move to Beijing. That's where they met and that's where I was born. My, my parents, especially my dad were, um, very, uh, lenient to, uh, what I want to do as a kid. You know, I was going, Back home from school alone when I was in grade two, actually. So, taking the bus, coming back home, um, but also because of my parents working, didn't have much time. So, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Um, and, you know, stuff that uh, accompanied me over time was at first a lot of cartoons, a lot of uh, uh, storybooks. You know, I loved drawing back then. And then later on was uh, video games when we had a computer, and I was able to actually buy video games and play stuff like Pokemon and GTA, all of that. Um, is
0: it called Pokemon in
1: Chinese? <laughs> I think there are two different names. Um, there is the, the Pocket Monster, yeah, literal translation, and then there was another more fancier for the cartoon, yeah.
0: It it must have been weird, like if you if you go to the U.S. or Canada. And then you're like, oh, my favorite Pokemon is, like, this. But then in, like, English, it's totally different. And it's oh, yeah. nothing nothing the same. And so you're starting from scratch when you go there, right? How was it first going there and, and, like, actually talking to these guys? Because even the pop culture references might be totally different words.
1: Right. So, well, when I first went to Canada, I already, like, passed the stage of playing Pokemon. Um, you know, I had a period when I was very very much addicted to video games but when i left um actually when i first had a computer i was like no i'm done with it Uh, what interested me me more was stuff like sports i was a big fan of basketball so i watched a ton of of videos and youtube was also new to me because it's blocked in china so able (laughs) to oh yeah i was able to you know like um learn about the western culture through the internet Literally, through, through YouTube did you Did videos. you get all
0: the NBA highlights on, I don't know, is it Yuku? I'm not sure what the video streaming sites are.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had those. Uh, but also, uh, as a kid back then, we didn't have computers in the, in the classroom. So, I would use my phone and I actually look at the word by word live of the game. So, what? The word by word live of the game? Like, you know... Like we, the
0: reporting, right? Every minute, rep- it's like somebody made a field goal.
1: Yeah, it's like a news feed, like a live uh-huh. news feed. So uh-huh. me and my friends would, you know, stare at our phone and then look at the game in that way and imagine the game in our head. What? And it's the same with the radio. You know, back then, where there was no TV, the real fans would sit in front of the radio and just listen and imagine what goes on. And that might actually be a better experience than now you can see at any time you want.
0: Wait, so, so back then, was it like internet or time zone or not having like a nice computer that that blocked you from watching
1: it was just different uh uh, you know in china we we didn't um have the right to play every game that was live so for 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 most of the games we were only able to maybe like listen to the yeah the radios or, or watch the i think yahoo sports in china and just look at the the stats yeah yeah
0: Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, so how long were you doing that for? Like, when when did you actually go to the West?
1: When I, when did I actually go to the West? Yeah,
0: I guess when you got so sick of the reading the scoreboard, you're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go. I want to yeah. see these games in the right time zone. This was Canada. Was it a major city? Where people hadn't really, like, hung out with Chinese people?
1: I was in Ontario, but it's south um, eastern Ontario. So... A rural place called uh, St. Catherine's where you would have our you know boarding school and another university but other than that there there wasn't much going on and uh, when you're in a boarding school there was a lot of restrictions the internet cuts off at midnight uh, you're not allowed to go outside of campus during the weekdays and even on the weekend when you leave you have to sign a form and tell them when you come back uh, so it was very much a world on on its own. Uh, My interaction was a lot, a lot of it was confined with uh, with my classmates. Uh, But I I guess there's an interesting story of when I first fly to Canada alone, um, (laughs) I guess that was my first culture interaction. You know, I was, uh, back then I was wearing a hat that says 420 with a big marijuana leaf. Why? Because I thought it was a, it was it was the Irish lucky clover <laughs> so I confused the two and I was How old wearing are you? that I was 15 okay it was a black hat with with a it's very one on leaf. An age to give
0: a pass to yeah but. and
1: I was wearing that entering the the customs uh. Uh, at the airport and the so the homeland officer looked at me look at my passport probably calculated my age in his head asked me you know what that means on your head I said no sir I don't and and he said don't show that to your teacher. Good luck, and then he just let me in. That was the first time I got the visa into the country. What
0: did you think passing that?
1: Um, <laughs>
0: you sneaky, sneaky, huh?
1: I didn't know what it was, so like I, was, I thought I was just wearing a cool hat. He didn't explain. No, no, and I, I didn't know about the drug thing until later on. <laughs> Yeah, so I was very clueless. I was uh, uh, just like any other Chinese kid. I wasn't speaking much English. Uh, You know, I was wearing glasses, very studious, shy. You know, it took me a while to, I guess, break out of my shell and interact with others freely. The big part was just not being afraid to make mistakes. And originally, I I have a sense of humor in Chinese that I found um, hard to replicate in the US but I still want to be a be a funny person you know, that's who I am I think life's more interesting that way so so I started to try out different things different ways to talk and you know to project my personality not just talk as everything I read on the textbook you know I think that really helped me to improve but also on the other part is watching YouTube videos and you know playing a sport you interact with with your coach with other people
0: Wait, as you go through high school and even now, right? Like, you think you're funny in Chinese. <laughs> and then now you're, you're dealing with a foreign language and figuring out, like, how do I express that same color I'm so used to expressing? What did you try out? What did you figure out? Right? Because I think other people probably have the same thing. Like, even our mutual friend Ryan and even me, right? His native language is Korean. My native language is English. But when we switched to two... I noticed that both of our personalities change a bit. So even from a humorous standpoint, I, I think as well, how do, I, how do I bridge it to the image that I have of myself as a, a comedian and truly a clown in English to someone a little bit less interesting in Korean? Well, so for you in Chinese going to English, how'd you make that jump? Well, look... To become I, the I joker think, you are.
1: I think in, uh, in Chinese... To be humorous is more nuanced, but very quickly I realized to be the funny guy that blends in as a high schooler, as a high school boy in the Western world, you just have to be stupid. <laughs> you just have to act stupid and <laughs> and just embrace um, the absurdity of what do you do, what do you say, um, just stupid thing like. What's
0: well, stupid yeah, though?
1: All kids are stupid. I thought. Well, like, I would say my my high school basketball coach um, had a had a famous quote back then. It's called "All college, uh, sorry, all high school kids are pigs." And uh, that's not nice for the girls. You need to look for the exceptions. But anyhow, so in his view, (laughs) all the high school (laughs) boys were pigs. All they think about are girls, girls, and respect from other guys. And uh probably sometimes school, sometimes sports, but it's mostly. Uh, this wasn't a very good school, was it? Um, I think also because the, the 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 people I was interacting with, because I was I was playing sports most of the time. I see you know basketball kids, hockey kids, the studious guys were, looking back were kind of marginalized. You know there were kids who were, coding on their computer back then late night, and we thought he was antisocial, so you know if you're a good athlete you're all set in that uh, small social world <laughs> the humor
0: bit though how did you bridge that because you said oh i'm such a funny guy in chinese and then in english you have to try different things to express yourself what did you try man what what stuck um, do you think you got there even today
1: I think today, as an adult, it's more difficult, but as a high school kid, uh, I had a side hobby back then, which was making videos. So I would film in my dormitory and, and edit them in a funny way and piece them together. Um, I was actually thinking about it today, you know, before TikTok, before Vine, there was my kid making videos in his dormitory that were 30 seconds with music, music in the background. Really? Whoa, whoa, <laughs> where did you get the idea? I don't know. It was I was taking a, a film class back then, and everything just sparked. Um, you know, you, you, you can be funny in, in all sorts of ways, not just through language, but, you know, there, there was sports, there was the, the, the video element that across culture. So what and, were
0: the videos like, these 30 seconds?
1: As I mentioned, I was a big fan of a lot of YouTube channels, and, and, and what's popular back then was pranks. So a lot of these guys oh, doing yeah. pranks, whether be real or fake. So I I took some inspiration and, and did some pranks in my in my dorm, uh, and I was able to film them and just share. Uh, what
0: what was it like when you brought your sense of humor and your thirty second clips back to China every summer?
1: Um, well, that's the thing. Like once I left and embraced this new identity, I I got quite disconnected with my older friends just because I didn't have. Uh, much common topics to share and, you know, they don't have the same same internet access, you know, s- same s- stuff I learned, but also I wasn't uh, sure about what they were learning in the classes as well, w- w- what's going in their life. So it kind of just drifted apart. That happened to me like a few times in my life. So by the time, I guess, when I, when I was a freshman, I, when I was transferring, um, I knew I had to give up something, but it was not the first time.
0: I guess that's what I found interesting. When you go to college, you have your international students. And some of them, they might have come straight from their actual motherland slash homeland. Others might have gone to like a private school or a boarding school somewhere in like the Western world before they came to college. Uh, but a lot of them still kind of hang out with their countrymen in school. For you, I mean, you went to two schools. Did you find yourself doing, following that same
1: path? I think for me it was uh, different because I had that debate in my head as a high schooler. When I was in Canada, I I, I asked myself, do I want to uh, do all all sorts of activities and take advantage of all the opportunities out there, or do I want to uh, follow my uh, fellow countrymen? But actually, the the thing was just uh, I think difference in hobbies. I wasn't I was just not interested in. Uh, maybe um, uh, some. What are the the popular video games, computer games people are playing like League of Legends, mm, mm. Um, or I was just not interested in that. Or um, popular uh, brands or some luxury items. I was just you know fully about like playing basketball and uh, hang out with my friends and you know kind of earning respect from my peers and. Also, uh, just finding my own identity. Uh, So I had that debate already settled when I went to college. And as I went through, I I didn't feel that strong pull to be a part of any social group.
0: To be a part of any social group?
1: Yeah, I I never had a friend circle growing up. It was weird. Hmm.
0: Well, when you went to your first college, you might have automatically just got pulled in by the virtue of the fact that you weren't of the majority right
1: yeah yeah there was a a international group at khan college because majority were um, americans what was the
0: school like first of all
1: it was a lot like the boarding school i went to in, in in canada it was only around 2000 students and everybody kind of knows each other and when i you know walk from class to class you know you you know everybody or if they're not your friend, they're a friend of friends. Uh, a very small environment. Um, I was able to connect with professors. That was a benefit. Uh, I connected really well with some of the professors. And there I met some of the best professors ever, even better than Cornell. They're dedicated to their teaching and, and mentoring of the students. Uh, but the downside was. Um, I was doing this thought experiment in my head, you know, when I imagining when, when I, when I am a senior, three years later, come back to campus for a junior summer, at that point, I felt like I would have exhausted all the opportunities, all the resources, taking all the classes I wanted, you know, everybody kind of, I knew already. So, uh, so, so I was eager to know what, what it's like in a bigger place like Cornell, um, but socially, I would say, um, I, I didn't have a problem making friends with uh, all sorts of people because originally I'd never had a friend group. Um, I kind of just went on my own. Uh, but for, for the minority students, I would say uh, they felt hard to be part of the mainstream. What kind of minority? Um... So the thing is, I think at my 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 old school Khan college, uh, the divide wasn't just about race or ethnicity but also um, about economics and uh, class status uh, you know the 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 minority students they're not just that happens to be the minority that came to this college, but they a big part of them were on scholarships um so there was this divide between the the wealthier uh, New England Americans versus the w- more ordinary background kids um normally from uh minority ethnicities and um there was a thing in my dining hall that I realized was, which was you know the, the the wealthier um white Americans were would eat on one side and the minorities would eat on the other side um and that was pointed out to me after, you know, after a, a few times I talked to some uh, activist, student activist leaders on campus. Yeah. So, so I think at my first year of college, I had a lot of firsthand experience of student activism and um, this progressive movement on college campuses.
0: Did, did it bother you until people pointed it out? It seemed like in your day-to-day interactions with people you're in this small town where everyone knows knows each other or a small school where everyone knows each other they don't really bother you until someone pointed out hey look like big picture everyone of this type is sitting here
1: versus there but my freshman year was also the year of uh, i think huge black lives matter movement on campus after uh, university of missouri incident um, so on our what happened at, what happened in mizzou I think it was some clash between the students and the headmaster over a racial incident. I'm mm. not sh- sure exactly. Mm. Uh I ca- I can't recall right now, but back then on um, my college we had a solidarity event protest mm. um organized by minority students that uh I I participated. Um and that was very eye opening for me. Um just looking at the the situation at a, I think, a deeper level, understanding why there is a dissatisfaction. So having that knowledge, uh, once I come to Cornell my first year, which was the year Trump got elected, I was able to, I think, understanding uh, America at that level better.
0: Did you feel pretty isolated from it? Because you knew you were going to leave in one year, if you were going to transfer or four years. Right, If you're leaving school, and if you leave school, you can just go back to China. So you don't have to deal or think about
1: any of this. Mm, it, well, you can't just hide from it. That's the thing. Um, because I think even if you don't want to play a part of American politics, once you step foot on that country with all the identities that carries with you, you automatically become Part of a camp or part of a a, a group, uh, you know, at least in in other people's eyes, I can't escape being an Asian Asian, for example, mm-hmm. Asian male. Um, when they talk about stuff like uh, Harvard discriminating Asian Americans, that speaks to me. It's it doesn't matter if I want to care about it or not. Um, so I think that's also the the beauty of America. After I, I came to America, I, I realized that um, in Canada you don't see that much. You know, politics it's it's a defining feature of America, and especially on college campuses.
0: How did you even pick Cornell? Why did you decide to go there after a con call? Right. Um. You were happy in your little town, except for the whole cafeteria being segregated, but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I never imagined I could one day go to an Ivy League, uh, because I, I, as a high school kid, I wasn't that focused on academics. You know, I, I didn't do well on SAT. Um, but when I was uh, expressing my my thought about transferring to some professors, one of them suggested me to look at Cornell because one of his previous students transferred there. So again, I think I benefit from a small college campus, Khan College it was, and the uh, the close connection with the professors afforded me. So it was really from just one professor's um, conversation, and, and I applied. And that was the only school I got in, actually, as as a transfer.
0: How was it when you got there? You said it was diverse and full of flowers. Yeah?
1: The right my first semester at cornell was not at all rainbows or the
0: transition yeah. experience is really bad for transfers
1: it's quite from what i saw because i lived in the dorms
0: where most of the transfers like on west where a lot of the transfers come in they just get thrown in like the quietest building in fucking north america it's so quiet in those west dorms man You come in as a transfer, you don't know anybody, and, like, you just walk around this gigantic campus where, like, thousands of people are walking around chit-chattering. And you're like, wow, everyone else has something going on, but when I go home to West, I don't hear a thing. I feel like as a transfer, that's a very difficult... It was difficult for me as someone who was there from the beginning, but for a transfer, I don't know how you pop out of that. I guess if you enjoy your time alone and enjoy
1: driving your own path alone but what was your experience it was particularly hard for me as an art and sciences transfer there were just a so few of us and we all took different majors and classes so unlike say if you transfer to hotel school or uh, ilr maybe you'll meet your transfer peers on, on a weekly basis but for me it was it was just all myself and after the orientation i never met all the other kids in my orientation group anymore. Oh, what the! Um, except my roommate and some other friends I in my dorm. Um, I was in Cascadilla, so that wasn't even okay. on campus. At the least
0: CTB. Yeah, at yeah. At the bottom of campus. Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: Um, so I, I lived there for one semester, um, the fall semester, which was the the time in Ithaca where it turned from. You know, all sunny and beautiful, Ithaca's gorgeous. To the cold, hell, snowy Cornell it is. So for a while, you know, after classes, I didn't really know what to do. Like you described, uh, so it, it wasn't that f- fun. Um, but no I, basketball I, <laughs> crew, no no Chinese crew,
0: no thirty uh, second video making crew. I feel like at that point, that that industry is coming up in the student he, community. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, th- I think hard,
0: wasn't it uh, more access to communities than back at Concall?
1: I think at a bigger school, it the the burden of initiative is more on you to to be out there and and meet people and make friends and maintain the relationships. In a smaller environment like Concall, you're you're automatically set up to to run into people, interact with them. But at Cornell, if you don't message someone. You won't see them again. Perhaps. forever.
0: <laughs> That's so right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um, I and I wasn't that good at taking initiatives. But I think two things I did in the second semester got me started on the better foot, which was uh, becoming a resident advisor when RA on the North Campus uh, freshman dorm and also uh, joining a pre-professional fraternity.
0: In both cases, freshman girls, what's up? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perhaps in hindsight, that should have been, but let's uh, leave that on to my imagination.
0: Oh, man. Um, so why why was it so transformative if not that? Now I'm having trouble understanding.
1: Well, it, it was giving me two communities outside of classes that I can say that I'm a part of you know you know I was never part of a, any social circle from a high school or even my first year but at Cornell I felt like I needed to um, be a part of something and and, and I, I wasn't good at making friends the natural way which was going to frat parties and drink and small talk and get drunk play beer pun but as an
0: RA though you're like you're like an NPC in that video game you know, you're just kind of standing there, but you're not really in the freshman game.
1: I was not, yeah. But I had a, a group of uh coworkers, other RAs, that are kind <laughs> of in my shoes. Uh, so I made friends that way. Um, but also being on North Campus, you just see more people, you know, coming in and out more often.
0: It was- I'm, oh, man, I'm in nostalgia thinking about North Campus, as a freshman at least, because as a sophomore, I never went back, but like, as Where a were freshman. you? Oh man, I was a Muse. Oh, okay. okay. Basically, Beverly Hills. It's it's the but one of the more it's the prettier night. dorms. It's it's like a brand new one. But the other places they have more character to them, right? Like Donlin has shared bathrooms, right? So you 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 just end up running into people a lot, right? And actually, there was a guy in my year, um, who also moved out. He's another Asian American who moved to Asia at least temporarily, from what I saw on Instagram. He set up a barbershop in the Donlin bathroom as a freshman. Wow. he, He would bring in like a radio and like bump tunes and he would have, as you know, Cornell is diverse. He would have different types of clippers because for someone who's black, right, they might have a lot thicker hair than the fine hair that you or I as East Asians would have, right? So he had the whole arsenal ready to go and he would give hair. I actually got a haircut there myself because I'm sure, as you know, and I think you have something to say on this too, Finding a barber in Ithaca is not. There's not a lot of choices.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that dates back to uh, even high school for me. When I was in Saint Catharines, Ontario, um, in high school, the I didn't have a go-to barber. You know, I normally would just hop in that supermarket, not supermarket a shopping mall, <laughs> a shopping mall uh, with a, with a, something like a super cut. But oh, when I was a senior, uh, I found out a, a Jamaican barber shop <laughs> down the main what, what are they doing for you, man? So I would just h- hop Mr. in. Mister 420 on the hat. Like, what, what? What are you going over there for? I go there with some of my basketball boys, and uh, the funny thing is that barbershop, shop. Like, it doesn't take uh, appointments; it's just one man shop, and most people would will, would wait for hours to get the cut. This there. is back in Canada, right? it's back in canada yeah um so yeah so I, i've had the the history of going to a black barbershops to get my asian cuts. how'd that go <laughs> normally well, how's the conversation when you
0: sit in the chair it's not like oh do me like the rest of you guys right like
1: i think the thing is for maybe it's because we're from different cultures every time i go i just hear the music you know the Dude. the music either in the barber shop what? or you know, through his phone, and so so I think and and we just you know we just vibe and we don't really like talk. Like shaking your head right now. It's like we 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 know what each other is thinking, and he'll give me a cut a very fresh. And my hair is very short. Do you have a picture?
0: So. Like everything about this evidence is a bad haircut for like four straight years.
1: Oh, it was it was it was pretty fresh. I'd say it was good. It was good.
0: Is this similar to the one you have now? Yeah yeah yeah. Okay, yeah. but in Ithaca, I think you said you had a bit of a complaint, no?
1: Yeah, yeah. Part of it was, um, I think, lack of options. You know, there were a few barbers in uh, in the college town that weren't really good, and uh, probably collude to charge you. How uh, much was it competitive again? Competitive prices time you I got think, there? Around twenty, I would say. Wow! But there was one like. The the ladies charging like 12 or 15. Yeah.
0: Did you go to the commons at all to find other options?
1: The commons have more, but you got to take a bus, right? So, um, and, and that's the thing. Because if you don't have a car, it's, it's very difficult. You also spent some time at church. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, we, we can talk about my religion, I guess, um,
0: you come from a country first of all, where you can't go to church, right?
1: You can I think on paper it's allowed people for people to have their own own religion. It's just that you have to subscribe to a certain set of rules and beliefs that are not originally part of the doctrine they're more catered to the uh i think that the what are some examples <laughs> um, Catered to the government what are some examples? Like for example, before Jesus, there's the loyalty to to the country and the party, so it's uh-huh. kind of the par- priority thing. Um, but also, you know, there are certain things you shouldn't talk about. Or as a church operator, every time you receive um, donation from from a foreign country, um, you know that's under a lot of scrutiny whether you have invited a missionary from overseas to give a talk or just you have some donations coming in. so. But
0: I feel like a lot of the teachings say, like, God above everything, right? The Holy Trinity above everything. How do you meld in the party as a part of that?
1: Well, um, I don't know the specifics of, of that. Like, if we want to talk about church in Ithaca, I think I, w- I know more. Mm. Um,
0: so you found you found Christianity in ithaca was it
1: right so um as i mentioned my first semester at cornell wasn't that smooth i was having a hard time connecting with people Mm. but it was at that time i i joined a a buddhist club um, that follows the doctrine of of a japanese um, a japanese buddhist preacher called Nichiren. Mm. Um, so so that's a branch of Buddhism that follows the teaching of um, Lotus Sutra. So I was in that club for a while, but then later on, I felt like it was uh, more of a cult than, than a true family of uh, faithful men, so of men and women. Um, so what happened was in that club, every Wednesday at the meeting, we would gather together on third floor of Wheeler Strait in, in that little secret WSH,
0: baby. Secret room. Baby. And, secret uh, room.
1: It was a kind of like in the middle of the hallway. You open the door, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, and people would just go on and chant things that uh, they're, they're not English. They chant, I think, in in uh, uh, Sanskrit or some other Asian language. I'm not sure. Mm, I have no problem with that. You know, I I think um, it's part of Cornell's right. You're free to. Um, embrace and bring all kinds of culture but it's the part that they talk about how every time after their chant, some magical things happen to them that really uh threw me off so so i didn't um continue my participation in the club how magical is magical though well like someone would talk about how they they nailed an exam after uh, chanting a specific uh, segment in the in the sutra uh, which is the book. Um, mm and how they're recommending each other to say okay you should you should do this every morning for how long I actually tried that out i think i was a very flexible person a very open-minded uh, so i actually tried that out and while i was doing it i i felt like it just it's just nonsense uh, so then i left and then it was not until my senior year that i i um i guess was engaged with uh, christianity which is um I think the religion that uh, more shaped me to who I am than, than other. So growing up, I didn't have a religious background. You know, everybody in China, as we talked about, um, mostly are agnostic. You know, it's not that they're non-believers, but that they just have no conceptual sense of God in their head. Um, you don't hear about these discussions on in classrooms or on the streets, and even the family's dinner table, religion is a very distant thing. As if it's a it's a way of life, like whether you eat pork or not. Um, but when I came to U.S., you know, I I met many um, met many Christians. But it wasn't until I met a professor who was teaching an economics course that you know brought me to a Chinese church. I felt really connected to to the religion Um, i was always interested in uh, the philosophical part of religion uh ever since um i came to cornell Uh, i was a philosophy major back then and uh you know i had those uh courses on metaphysics which is about the the essence of nature and the universe okay wait before metaphysics right like don't you also pray in church
0: and sometimes you have good things happen as a result, so where does the distinction lie there where you're much more drawn to Christianity than the third four illustrate hall Buddhism sect um, of Japanese origin
1: sure well so for for Christianity, you are actually having a conversation with uh, with Jesus or God um, and you are talking the i guess the the deepest thoughts and desires in my head it's like you're verbalizing them and and putting them out there in the universe and but for the buddhist buddhist club i was part of they were chanting stuff that didn't really have meaning they were just uh sound bites so i think that's a difference Mm. because when you're praying in 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 church you have to know what you want to say first you have to have a have an organized structure of what do you want to talk about how do you want to say it and and it's only when you start speaking you know what you want to talk about what you really want so i think that's a magic part of it um you know a lot of people when they um when they deliver a prayer they don't really plan it out they don't have a script they just it's it's like an explosion of an idea that becomes externalized Hmm. so i think that's that's a distinction Mm.
0: you you mentioned that churches in china are okay but there are some modifications made by the government you've also mentioned that you were surprised to see chinese members of the cornell community coming to church and also finding that there is an alternate avenue for churches back at home, too, right? I guess that discovery happened as you started attending church.
1: Yeah, yeah. The The story was... I... Uh, so I joined church quite late as a senior, second semester. I was wow. I-
0: senior, second semester, and you're still trying new things? Oh, yeah. Look at you. Yeah, it, I think... we Can we have a moment of silence to just give a floss to this man? This is actual curiosity, intellectual curiosity.
1: When I was there... Um, as a senior, I didn't have much time to, I guess, um, develop my my myself as a Christian. I was only there for one semester. So I wanted to continue that once I graduate. Uh, once I graduated, when I left, I went back to China uh, to do an internship in Beijing, actually. And I, I I reached out to some of the members in my church for um, recommendations, how can I continue this, right? Because in China is a different very different reality uh so then uh, the my connection hooked me up with someone from Beijing which i I never met until now, who introduced me to a f- a family church in Beijing. So I think there were there are people in China that are uh kind of an informal network of church brokers. Who um, would introduce overseas returnees to the the family churches? That kind of underground in China that preserves their their kind of true um, teachings, to Christianity. You know, this, so these family churches are different from the 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 registered churches that I mentioned that had to follow certain rules. Yeah, so that's the distinction. And and I came back. I went to visit some family churches, and
0: they only you can only hear about them from WeChat. If they get caught by the police, suddenly you've never you don't get to see the pastor ever again. Is it that kind of thing?
1: I've read stories about how police have raided some of these um, unauthorized uh, religious like, gatherings. Wrong Bible, wrong Bible. It's it's more like you don't have a license. You're not allowed to do this. You know, just whatever reason um so the the church i went to in beijing was uh on the second floor of a hotel and it wasn't it wasn't a like any fancy like marriott hotel it was just a hostel more like a hostel two three floors and the second floor you go upstairs no elevator walk upstairs you'll see this huge floor of um uh, very glamorous rooms with all the you know the gold colored lights and floorings, the chairs, and, yeah, so that's a place where a lot of people go to, and then you realize, wow, there's actually a lot of Christians in China. I can't
0: believe the hostel was down to do
1: that. <laughs> They're taking a huge risk, for sure. Are there a ton of these churches? Um, I'd say more than you think. <laughs> more than you think. Um, it it Because I think in China, the thing is... Uh, there's just so many people and it's, it's hard to truly stop something once you have that seed. Yeah.
0: I always thought it was funny because growing up, I went to a church like many Korean Americans do and they have missions, right? Mission trips where you go around the world spreading the gospel. And I always thought it was interesting because some of the locations make sense. Like Honduras is a very common one or Philippines because Economically they're disadvantaged So you can bring some of your funds To get in the door Right? We have some money We have some food We have some medical equipment And then spread the word But then they also say We're going to China And I'm like China's doing okay Right But If you're trying to spread the word of God That's somewhat unadulterated Or unaffected by the CCP Then I guess these guys Are really actually taking big time risks Because they're dodging the government big time And going to these family hotels if they're coming from abroad or do they actually go the, the government route and um maybe have a different message or a somewhat adulterated message with the goal of let's just try to get as many people as close to god as we can even if it's not 100 percent the same as our denomination what is your impression
1: well i think it's it's both um i think perhaps i, I painted the picture of uh, registered church in the two dimmer light uh, so even though they are um under the the control of the government and they had to you know report to certain agencies they had to pre-clear some of their uh, preaches but they're still christian churches so um so i think it's it's more of a trade-off of security versus, you know, whether you want to give up part of, part of your, um, power to, to, mm. to say some things. Mm. I think it, it, maybe it's more about freedom speech and that comes in a whole host of other issues in China as well. So,
0: so as a, as a Chinese person living in Singapore who's a Christian, how is this environment for you?
1: Um, I think for me, I, I would say right now I'm going through a stage where, I am mm, more back to the questioning stage of my religious faith. You know, I think I don't see it as again like many other identities I have. It's not ingrained as part of who I am. It, it's always something that's there, and I'm, I'm willing to invest my time in you know, investigate it. I think it's important. I think in Singapore, it's a lot better than, than China for sure. It's, you know, it's a, it's a vibrant city state with all sorts of ethnicity and, and religions. Um, I think where I live, it's also a predominantly Chinese community that has like a few churches to go to. But now of course, with the coronavirus, everything has moved online. Yeah. Um, so- I think, uh, again, for me, I, I realized the reason why I'm doing this is uh, is that it's for more of a bigger project of understanding, you know, what is the truth, what is, what is really the origin of life, all, all that set of, you know, questions that probably with no answers. So, um, and all the other benefits like a community, um free food like for for example in cornell there's these are like the side advantages to me so Mm. I'm, i'm still on this more on the intellectual side of that yeah
0: always curious that's good yeah any any thoughts of going back to the u.s or canada after your eventful kind of life phase there um this is more of a bonus question
1: Right. For me, I thought about it early on where I want to continue my life. When I was in Canada, I had the option of continuing my tertiary education, going to college in Canada, and probably secure my uh, residential status there, which was the route some of my peers took. Um, Easier than if you were in the U.S. Um, But I, I didn't do that. I came to the U.S., and uh and after come to the us i left again um i think about it often actually you know if i had done it differently maybe i'm already um a pr in canada having a better drop prospect um you know i'm i'm probably able to participate in the in the government um or just have some you know influence in my smaller communities but I think I realized I want to work in um, developing countries like China or, or Southeast Asia and here in Singapore. Um, I think it's just a preference. I think when I was in U.S., North America, I, I saw everything was uh, quite advanced and pretty much, um, you know, people are not happy there. But if you, if you really compare your life to some of the stuff people go through in the developing world it's nothing right so i think that mm. there's still a lot to change to be done in mm. in the proximity of where i live now in singapore yeah it's
0: a good enough reason before we close it off um McCrit is is a single man so i'm gonna put out this reach out right now <laughs> Mikrit, how tall are you
1: i am uh 187
0: what is that in, in normal
1: people? Like six, one and a half.
0: Six, one and a half. How broad is your chest? Oh, no. Like, I don't know. It's as, it's as broad <laughs> as the kitchen table that we're currently recording
1: this on. I appreciate that, Kevin. What position do you play in basketball? Um, back then, I played forward, but now I'm, I'm like, a guard's he- height, so. Okay, guard,
0: right? Like, like Kobe. Like oh, well, Michael Jordan. Like that's guard, a stretch. right? stretch. But that's the same position, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, like... Kobe LeBron. and are you single and ready to mingle? That's my last question for you.: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Whatever comes, I think,
1: you know again, I'm, I'm a very flexible person with a growth mindset, so yeah,
0: he, he's very intellectually curious. He has the physical specimen that I think many many folks um, listening to this will desire. and uh, for any booking inquiries, please reach out to me at kevinye@podcasting@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, from a cred uh your whatsapp number if you desire we can also put in the, the, the episode description
1: uh we'll talk about that later and, all right um, thank you so much for cred no problem it's a pleasure goodbye